Shaq Moore for Mukhtar! Ladies and gentlemen, salute your MVP frontrunner! 3-0 over Austin for the fourth straight win. The first time the boys in gold have won that many games in a row, and that was Hani's second goal, Nashville's third of the night, courtesy of iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Bowling, Nashville SC Radio Voice, and this is Club and Country, the podcast of record from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Tim Sullivan, and my respective discipline is on the internet, where I am the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. We've covered this club a long time, but in MLS play, we've never seen a four-game win streak, and that's not even maybe the biggest story. Hani wins an MVP showdown with a late brace to show up his uh, fellow MVP frontrunner, Sebastian Driussi. It's just one game. We might have said something about sample sizes on this show before. <laughs> Nonetheless, for optics and for the fact that due to the weather delay, the whole league was pretty much watching this game, certainly a big night for Hani to boost his case. And the the argument for Driussi has always been that his team is better. The argument for Hani has has been that his stats are probably a little bit better. Um, Hani made a, a statement in both of those respects uh, this weekend, and that's something that he's going to have to continue to do if he wants to beat out Driussi for that award. In the early shout, Hani versus Driussi. Three clean sheets in four. The midseason transfers coming good as well, and the Gold Nuggets will uh, go deeper into the numbers behind Hani Mukhtar's dominance. Good stuff in the mailbag this time. We'll get into the, the loan dynamics of Schaffelberg, as obviously, once again, the, the addition from Toronto looked really sharp in the match, even though he didn't get on the score sheet this time. He certainly was uh, a factor. We'll uh, talk a little more as well uh, about what else is happening in this league, how Nashville is is looking. And an outside end, we'll get into that as well as we uh, handicap our most likely team to fall out of the playoff picture right now and our most likely team to maybe stay in there because I think we would both agree LA Galaxy decently positioned because of two games in hand, even Mm -hmm. though they missed a chance at two points thanks to Chicharito. (laughs) We'll also chat about that. A, A really good show today, and it's always fun to be able to go outside in and talk about the playoffs because they're only four games away somehow if Nashville's able to make it. But first, of course, Tim, Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose. As always, best burger in town, and uh, as you like to tell us, a tremendous beer selection to go with it. Yeah, I was out of town this weekend. Uh, I was home at the midweek, but out of town this weekend, and it it just doesn't hit the same when you don't have someplace that you can so reliably go to get such a good beer selection, to get such a good food selection, and it's something that, you know, when you're on the road, it's, it's just never the same. Yeah, with those Sunday night games recently, ML Rose was understandably, again, closed. <laughs> going home and eating like a, a hand roll of sushi, like I mean, it, it was good, but it did not hit the spot. And so finally, I went, I met uh, photographer extraordinaire Mike Meredith, as well as Lamestream Media host and Nashville, Nashville scene writer uh, Steve Cavendish out at, at ML Rose. It was quick. Uh, we got there just before last call, but was able to get in a beer and good conversation and of course, some loaded waffle fries. And my 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 mouth was happy, but more than that, my soul was happy. You know, good food just has that window through to just please the soul. And after a good win for Nashville SC, <laughs> fun broadcast. I mean, the rain delay kept me from having probably two more beers and maybe a burger too. But uh, Tim, it's just hard to beat that feeling of, of sense mm-hmm. of accomplishment after a you know you do good good written work or I you know feel like I've, I'm pretty happy with a broadcast and then you sit down and have a great burger and a beer. It's just the most satisfying feeling you can have. Yeah, we talked a lot uh, about a month ago about about those those kind of sad drinks after a game, and lately it has been only happy drinks, and that makes MLROs even more exciting after a match. 
It, it really does. Um, and I would have gone with the happy whiskey, as is my policy. However, <laughs> I had a, a, a somewhat empty stomach, and there wasn't enough yeah. time to let the fries settle. Oh, yeah, a rain, so. de- a rain delay will really mess with your desire to go have a whiskey and then, <laughs> and then have to get home. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit rough, but next time. Next time, because the whiskey list pretty solid as well. Uh, let's head to the early shout. Pass in for Hani. Hani with space. Hani with a shot. Hani with a goal. On MVP night in Music City. Hani Mukhtar charges past the Austin defense. He charges into the MVP lead. And surely he has sent Nashville to a win. And the MVP chants resound throughout Geodas Park. It was already a good night for Nashville. They had a one nothing lead. They were working to hold Austin off, but, but ATX hadn't really threatened significantly. And then Hani sealed the deal. He shut the door on the men from Texas with two late goals. That uh, first of those two, courtesy of iHeartRadio, and... You know, Hani was a good part of the attack in the first half, too. He had five chances created in the first half. He was doing good work. There was a near miss by Alex Wheel that, that you know, he probably feels like he should have finished. Mm-hmm. But you get you just got the feeling, based on what we'd heard from Hani and from this club about this MVP race, that he was going to get on that score sheet. And sure enough, he did in a big way. Yeah, it's, you bring up a really good point there because we we worry so much about how much of, of Nashville's final product has to come from Hani Mukhtar or that that final pass has to come from Hani Mukhtar. And we see that it doesn't necessarily always have to, but when you have a guy that has the ability that he has and he adds a second and then a third, it's something that you look at and say, that is what he's here for. That's what he's paid for. That's what he's going to do. That's what makes him the most valuable player to this team. And we'll see if he ends up being the most valuable player in the entire league. Oh, man, like that sweet, crisp pass to Jacob Schaffelberg in the first half, where <laughs> Schaffelberg was legitimately offside. Otherwise, there would have mm-hmm. been a penalty shot there. I think probably is a penalty shot there. It's that kind of stuff that you see. And, and Austin supporters you know, got on my case a little bit for doing something as brazen as praising Hani Mukhtar um, <laughs> and then reminding folks that Hani has 60, 67 audacity. chances created to Drew UC's 24. And they're like, well, he's good at defending too. You know what? I don't blame you, Austin, folks. That was exactly my argument for Hani Mukta over Carlos Hill last year. More mm-hmm. complete player. You know who bought it? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> because ultimately, it's about that. It's about that production and value to your team. And yes, it is about team success. And mm-hmm. you know, right now, Austin has that edge, but they certainly did not on on Saturday night. It's a subjective case. These guys are still close. But Hani did his part to make that case in a very strong way. And I think I think more people around this league are listening more than they have been uh, all year. It's something that um, last year, a big part of it was that Nashville kind of made a sleeper run towards second place in the conference, but um, ultimately didn't get there for one thing. And New England was running away with the supporter shield. So nobody was going to catch the narrative. Whereas when you look at this year's race, the narrative has a little bit more open field here because they can both get, um, you know, probably not first place in the Western conference, but both can, can build up stats as they work towards high positions in the, in the Western conference. We might have spoiled our supper with our appetizer here as we get into <laughs> gold nuggets, but let's talk about Hani's dominance, both in this match and beyond. 21 goals and 11 assists puts him in the um, the goals plus assists lead by three over Sebastian Driussi, puts him in the golden boot league by one. And, and just comparing them again over 90 minutes, it's not the end-all be-all, but it matters, and it matters in the eyes of voters. Um, Driussi, two shots on target, 
Hani, of course, with the two goals. Neither of Drusi's shots were particularly threatening of Joe Willis. Uh, he only created one scoring chance. Hani led both teams with seven chances created, five of them in the first half. That's seven more chances than the entire Austin team created all night, Tim. Yeah, and this has been an Austin team that's been prolific in the attack, and Drusi has been a big part of that. Um, I think our, our friend Andrew Wiebe from Extra Time would note that many of Austin's early season games could be considered bonus games. So maybe <laughs> maybe now that the rubber is hitting the road and the, and the sledding gets a little bit tougher, you see a guy like Hani stepping up when the competition gets fierce, and, and maybe Drew didn't quite do that, like you mentioned. It is a 90 games or 90 minute sample size. It is not the be all and end all of their seasons. But when people are comparing the guys who are probably going to be the final two guys standing in the MVP race, this is going to be major point, honey. A 90 game sample size might actually be enough for you to say that's enough <laughs> yeah. of a sample size. Yeah. And that's something uh, we're, I don't think we'll get to it in the mailbag since I didn't put it in here. But um, our, uh, <laughs> one of one of our good friends uh, reaches out and says, how big enough, how big of a sample size is big enough? And we kind of touched on it last week. And uh, to, to figure out how good a team actually is, you don't really know. To figure out how good a player actually is, you don't really know over the course of 34 games. But you have the resume you have, and, and what we're seeing is that Hani's resume is is showing that he has, has gotten the job done. Yeah, what does that resume look like in recent games? Over the last six, Hani has nine goals and five assists. That means in that stretch, Tim, he's been involved in a goal every 39 minutes. That, my friend, is not shabby. 19 goals and seven assists in the team's last 18 games. More stats. I know it's hard to throw stats at you at an audio medium, but um, <laughs> this season he's been part of two-thirds of Nashville's goals. He has reasons one two, and three. Why Nashville's climbed to fourth in the table, despite not getting a goal from its primary striker, CJ Sapong, since May. And and CJ is doing a lot for this team, and that's mm -hmm. why he continues to start, despite not putting the ball in the back of the net. And a big part of what he is doing for this team is accepting that it's not his job to score goals right now. It is Hani Mukhtar's job to score most of the goals. Yes, CJ would love to get goals. He would love to get set up by, by Hani Mukhtar a lot of these times. But he understands this is a guy who's who's kind of on a heater. He's a guy who's in the MVP race for a reason. Hani Mukhtar, um, you know, like you mentioned, two th two thirds of the goals um, Nashville has gotten through an assist or a, or actually Hani himself putting it in the back of the net. And when a guy who's as as thoughtful as CJ looks at what his team has accomplished and and sees that Hani is so important to it, he says, "Okay, my role is to to." to pin the center backs back. My role is to go out and get on the break. My role doesn't necessarily have to be scoring because we have a guy like Hani, a guy who is so valuable to his team. And you heard him say that to us on this podcast last year. We interviewed mm -hmm. CJ and he said, you know, part of the reason I meditate is to remove my ego from the equation and see myself mm -hmm. as part of the larger whole. And I don't think that was BS. I think I think yeah. that you know it's it's evident in the way that that he's playing. Um, I want to ask you for comment on this final one. I think we're just kind of hammering the, um, the the dead horse here. To, but but just a few more stats to kind of hammer home exactly you know how impactful Hani has been. Um, he leads the league in shots right now by 16 over the nearest competitor. Leads the league in shots on target by 20. He actually only takes one less shot per game than DC United uh, as a team. Uh, that's where he's at right now. And he's still found enough touches to rank third in the league in key passes, as we mentioned that stat a minute ago. 67 chances created to Drew Ucy's, um 24. So major credit to Sebastian for scoring 20 goals on much fewer shots. You know, he is deadly when he's in position to score. He's got more scorers around him. But the numbers and that performance, at least for me, seem to put Hani in front of the MVP race for now. And you know what? They could go back to Austin in two weeks and Drew mm -hmm. puts up a brace and all of a sudden he's the shiny object. And that would mean more 
because he was probably the front runner before this game and because it's closer to voting time. Um, you know how media vote. What are they looking for here? I mean, do you, do you think that Honey could possibly do enough to overcome a guy in a market like Austin on a team like Austin? It's it's going to come down to the team success. We've seen that, like I mentioned earlier, that heel road New England's wave of success, despite probably being like the third or fourth most valuable player on last year's New England team. He was the MVP because he put up the the shiny numbers. Jeruzzi is the shiny number getter on a team that's not as good as as New England was last year, but is better than Nashville. And Nashville needs to come close enough to Austin in the standings that a guy with more statistical output can overcome the talisman for a better team. We have, uh, I think, talked to this one. Uh, Dolts blue in the face, which we're blue in the face at least. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to to this discussion in just a little bit here, but let's let's diversify our conversation a little bit because the win wasn't just about Hani. It was about a defense that shut out Austin. It's the third clean sheet for Nashville in four, and the biggest stat there is that Austin had scored in eighteen straight games before Nashville shut him out. Logan Elliott asks us, he says, you could argue the defensive performance has been the most telling factor of this upturn in form the last four games. They've given up just a single goal in that stretch. Any theories, he asks, as to why the team seem to have become incredibly difficult to score against? Big part of it is, is regression to the mean. They're, they're counting numbers. We're saying that they were giving up goals with the underlying stats. We're saying that they were getting unlucky a lot before that. Some of it is simply, you know, getting personnel back. Walker Zimmerman missed a game in there. Yes. Uh, you know, we've seen Shaq Moore take a little bit of time to acclimate. We've seen Anibal Godoy in and out of the lineup. Fortunately, a lot more in than out lately. Um, Dax McCarty is playing better than he had been before. He was, he was, you know, not on the the greatest streak of his career earlier this this summer. And that's something that as his form has gotten back to his historical norm or, or perhaps above it on one particular pass uh, this weekend, Man. Um, this team has, has kind of gotten back to what it's good at. They didn't really change anything. They just kind of started playing better, really. And when you don't, you know, allow Joe Willis to face a ton of shots, uh, he's going to go out there and, and make the saves he's supposed to make, and you're going to end up looking really good. As Jamie Watson said on the broadcast the other night, that pass was sexy. <laughs> Dax is going to take the number and be like, see, Jen, I'm sexy. Um, I, I think another factor there, dude, is, is just better attacking. I think Nashville's mm-hmm. taken a more front foot tactical approach, which can leave you vulnerable in defense at times, but it can also, at its best, when you're repressing really well, it can lead to opponents who are unable to, to build as effectively and, and feel a little bit stunted. Uh, you know, It's not the case that that's always happened right off the mm-hmm. bat. You know, it wasn't an amazing front-footed approach early against Austin. Certainly wasn't against Colorado. But this team finds its rhythm and is pretty relentless in that repress. And when they get ahead, they're going for goals two, three, and four without suddenly conceding a bevy of opportunities on the other end. And and I think that that's part of it, too. It's, it's looking a little more like New York Red Bulls than probably Nashville would like to be <laughs> uh, with the long balls, you know, winning the second balls, countering, setting traps, repressing, and it's working pretty well without having to really even test that back line quite as much as, as you might expect. Uh, another big factor in Nashville's recent success, the two guys they brought in in midseason, mm-hmm. of course. Shaq Moore now has three assists in his last four. He's shored up the defense on the right flank. We've seen those one-on-one defending skills and the speed he has to go against really good wingers. And Jacob Schaffelberg scored again against Colorado in midweek. Uh, props to my brother for a really good goal call there. I think it ended <laughs> with, I think he likes it here. Oh, I, I think he does. I think you're right. Um, his speed, though, really opens up that left channel and makes Nashville an even bigger threat, Tim, on those counterattacks, which means... All of a sudden, both flanks have guys who are speedy and assertive. 
We talked before he even arrived about how important Shaq Moore was going to be because he was going to be a slightly better defensive fullback and and be a much better attacking fullback, and that is exactly what we've seen. Uh, obviously, at that time, we didn't know Jacob Schaffelberg was coming in, um, and then instantly he essentially was a, a major factor. And uh, I believe before he played, I, I described him as an attacking version of Alex Mwil, which is not to say that they have the same skill set, but that mm-hmm. what Alex brings as a defensive winger, Schaffelberg brings as an attacking winger. And, and a lot of that is uh, come to fruition. I look like a, a genius. So I'm going to certainly give myself props because otherwise you guys are only <laughs> going to remember all the times I was dead wrong about stuff. Which oh, is we'll still remember those. Yeah. He's, he's, built perfectly for this team. The speed allows them to counter the way they want to counter. He's just technical enough to get the job done. And that's all you can ask of a guy. And, you know, as he continues to get comfortable with this team, um, and especially as he gets his game fitness back, he had only been playing sparingly for Toronto FC. A left-footed attacker is something that is a huge, huge addition to this team. And it, mm-hmm. it makes a ton of sense to have him play a ton of minutes because the balance that he does bring and, and the way he complements even having Shaq Moore completely across the field from him, he can help bring the width on the other side and prevent teams from kind of overcompensating for the cross that's kind of come from Shaq. It's just, it's weird because it's such a, it's such a insignificant seeming piece when he arrives, but all of a sudden this guy is doing just everything that you would ask for. And similar to when Alex Mule came in the first year, a guy who's a perfect fit for what Gary Smith wants to do that year. Uh, that year it was it was a little less progressive. This year is a little bit more progressive, and you're seeing it pay off. Yeah, I, mean, I think the front office can can rightfully take some some blame for big decisions that haven't always gone their mm-hmm. way, a la Akeloba to this point. But but the decision to use the exacto knife and to and to just make that that cut exactly where they needed to to get those two guys who fit exactly what they needed to do, um, they deserve major credit. I think I think mm-hmm. for that as well. And uh, next up is a big playoff contender, the LA Galaxy. 12 yards separate them. Right foot. Whoa. And oh man, anytime you hear a penalty kick call end in a groan like that, it's just <laughs> painful. But I think I made the same exact sound on my couch watching Chicharito had a chance to beat SKC with a late penalty kick, and he paninked his way to a point instead. That call courtesy of Tudin. Uh, the, the kick was massive. If he does what he should do and slots that home, um, then LA Galaxy is is tight to Nashville as it is now. They're further back, and and of course they play Nashville next. They have two games in hand, uh, five matches left to Nashville's three. But if Chicharito hits that BK, the playoff line is is that much tighter. And and now Nashville can feel a little less heat as it's a six point difference with those two games in hand. Yeah, when you look at the way the the end of the season always plays out, you're going to have moments that. You know, if they were if they happened in May, they wouldn't seem that significant. Um, Chicharito would not be thrilled to miss a PK in May. But the fact that he's doing it uh, beginning of September just feels that much more important because you know where the table stands at this point. And as we've gotten to the point where I'm starting to build my insane tables with like millions of rows, seeing how, how all the permutations can play out, seeing the difference between a six point and a, and a uh, four point lead for Nashville right now is is it's incredible what that can mean in terms of where you fit into the playoffs. It means that if, if Nashville wins this, this weekend, they can essentially put an ender to, to any hope that LA Galaxy has to come back on them. Um, knock on wood, every, everything would have to go the wrong way, basically, for, for it to flip. But that's the sort of thing that when you're Nashville, you don't like to see a guy, a, a genuinely good guy like Chicharito have a horrible moment. Um, you do like to see a, a hilarious goal call or non-goal call on two day name, but um, it's a situation where you, you know, 
bad things have happened in Nashville this year too. And you kind of accept that it happens to everybody. Um, Chicharito is a good guy, but he's a competitor <laughs> for a playoff spot. And Nashville yeah. is going to accept any help they can get. You know where bad things are unlikely to happen to you, Tim? Uh, ML Rose. Is, uh, How'd you is, know? Is, yeah. Look How at me did go. you I was know? Like, I was like, this is, he's doing a pro segue into our, our beloved sponsor, ML Rose. And this guy, you can tell he does this for, for a living, folks. It was, it was more of a second tier USL <laughs> level segue, I think, but we'll take it. But it is true. And, you know, I was reminded of that again, getting to ML Rose at about 1130, 1135. They close at midnight. And a lot of places, you know, they're kind of already turning off the lights and shutting the doors on you when you get get there like that. There are plenty of, of Nashville SC fans still there. Mm-hmm. Sat down next to our buddy Mike. And, um, you know, she warned us like, yeah, the kitchen is closing soon, but it wasn't like a passive aggressive. So please don't order anything. It was like, hey, if yeah. you want something, make sure, make sure you know to get it in. So just enough time to get those loaded fries and get a beer. And, you know, I felt like they were they were in it till the very end, whereas some bars want to just shut down and get the heck out of there as soon as they can. But I would expect nothing less from Melrose. Yeah, we talk a lot about the the products that they sell, but we I think maybe at times undersell the, the service with which you get the beer, with which you get uh, occasionally the whiskey, uh, with which you get the loaded fries. Uh, this is a place that that's a genuine customer service delight. And, um, you know, th- that doesn't describe every place in Nashville, <laughs> if no. we're going to be honest nowadays, especially. So um, it's always a pleasant experience. And, and like you also mentioned, uh, you're going to see Nashville SC fans there and, and you're going to see Nashville SC fans tending bar or, or waiting tables too. The, the people who work at ML Rose and who own ML Rose are fans of this club. And that always makes it even more fun to support them. Yeah, based on how many Nashville fans have gone there before and after every match this year uh, there at, at yeah. Jodas Park, I can only imagine we've, yeah. we've even Shout made out to Kay Baker for going and tagging us in the photo before yes. Saturday's game. Thank you for catching that. Absolutely, she did. And, um, that was that was always great, always great to see those. And then she invited me to come back next week. Uh, she's bringing some some more converts, not just to Nashville SC, but to ML Rose. That's their place. They so their their routine is they drive in um, from Chattanooga for every home game. They go to ML Rose. If it's a late game, they get a hotel and they drive home the next day. But ML Rose has become an integral part of their routine, thanks in large part to this show. So we're thankful to ML Rose for for the opportunity to tell their story and to tell this club story. Um, Now we'll move on to the mailbag and our friend Finn Breland. Back to the MVP conversation one more time. He says, obviously there's been some salt from the Austin camp over Hani passing Drew UC for MVP frontrunner. The stats seem to scream Hani to me, he says, but I'm sure I'm biased. Can y'all give us the non-feelings ball case for Drew UC <laughs> as we stand at this point in the season? Yeah, I'll tell you, the case is not that he also plays defense. Uh, <laughs> pressure percentage was thrown at me today on Twitter. Yeah, Austin's a pressing team. You're going to have more opportunities to do that. And, 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 voters just and I care. looked and I looked and, and Nashville's given up fewer goals this year anyway. So right. however, however well he's playing defensively, it's really not helping the team as much. Right. And I think, you know, Tim, you made the point last week that I think, mm-hmm. you know, is, is the point that carries Drew UC to MVP, which is he has comparable numbers on a team that's played better over the course of the season. It's that simple. Let's not go into pressure percentage or duels or, or any of that stuff. Here's the problem for Hani. You have to go back to 2015 to find an MVP winner whose team finished outside the top four in their conference. And it's usually been the top two. Now, right now, Nashville's in fourth, obviously, but it's going to be a tough road to keep that spot. My hunch continues to be if they fall out of the top four, it's tough for Hani to win unless he gets to a 27, 28 goal mark, which he very well could. Uh, I think that's the argument for Drew Ucy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the... The biggest and most important one. We talk about it every week. We've already talked about it in this show. The fact that his team has been better over the course of the year 
is very important. I, I think there's one other, it's it's like kind of a like a technical underlying stats sort of thing, which is the fact that he his underlying stats are lower than Hani's, but he's got comparable counting numbers, means he's kind of overachieving his stats, mm-hmm. which Yes, if you're trying to predict forward, it probably means that he's not going to be quite as prolific in the long run. But when you're looking backwards, when you're looking at what has already happened this season, the fact that he is overachieving what his underlying numbers say is, is something that he gets credit for, too. You know, it's something yeah. that, hey, he, he is outperforming what you would think he should do. And that sounds like a guy who is who's playing well and has an MVP show. And that can imply low percentage shots, which sometimes means exciting moments. We've seen him hit some bangers this year. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think... You know, nobody sitting on this podcast, you know, is, is bashing Drew for anything, nor did Hani, by the way. And I met, I keep talking about, about the All-Star game. I met Drew Yussi at at the All-Star game yeah. up in Minneapolis, and that dude rules. He was so nice. I love him. But and, he shouldn't be the MVP. <laughs> well, and, and, and Hani Mukhtar met him, too. Here's what Hani had to say about Drew Yussi and his performance on the night. Yeah, I mean, I have to give, uh, first of all, credit to, to Drew Yussi. He plays an amazing first season. Uh, he's an amazing player. I was with him in the all MLA All-Star Week. Um, he's a good guy, very nice guy, very humble. Um, but of course, in the end, I'm here um, to to win with Nashville something. And um, I think I play a very good season. So um, obviously, I want to win also the MVP um, challenge or award, you know. And um, so I give my best. I can I can just do my homework um, every weekend, you know. And um, that's that's what I can do. The, I mean, it was it was a special motivation. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, in the end, all all goals count the same, you know. And um, that's why, in the end, um, my goals against Colorado count the same, like today. Yeah, interesting stuff from Hani there, and I think the word obsessed is not too strong a word when a guy's <laughs> like Hani scoring the goal. He erases the jersey and he points to the back of the jersey while he's looking mm-hmm. at the supporters. And I said on air. The guy's done so much for the crest on the front of the jersey that he's earned the right to point at the back <laughs> of the jersey and campaign just a little bit for himself. His team supports that too. Uh, John Mueller says he feels like he's one of the few strong believers in CJ Sapong still. He says, can y'all back me up that since he's getting great chances game after game, if one of them goes in, they all start going in? I don't know if they all start going in, but I'll agree with the sentiment you expressed earlier, Tim, that he's doing the things away from goal to keep that job. He's winning duels. He's top 10 in Major League Soccer and Ariel's, Ariel's won uh, up there in fouls conceded and even fouls committed, which is okay because it means yeah. you're in the scraps. You're, you're on the ball. You're building up in midfield. And that's what Nashville needs as much or more than they need goals right now from him. Yeah, we talked about it already. Again, it's, it's something that what you want from a striker in the system is not necessarily goals as long as somebody else is scoring the goals and CJ is doing those things that are not necessarily the goals. Although I'm, I'm probably a little bit more with John than I am with you on, on CJ's output West. I do think that if he scores one, he's really going to start finding that groove that he was in for much of last year. And if that happens, if you, if you add a, a true secondary scorer from the striker position to this Nashville team, uh, it's, it's a dangerous team. All of a sudden, look at, look at Teal Bunbury. Everybody had written him off because mm-hmm. he, he had a bad game and then got hurt immediately comes back uh unfortunately he's hurt again but comes back and and scores in four or five straight games i think cj has every opportunity to do the very same thing i mean you're not wrong he is an inherently and traditionally streaky player 
right? Of course you're not wrong. I, I, I love your feeling. I love your feelings ball answer. Yeah, once he gets, but but I, I I mean I'm with you, and I think Stryker is about feel and about moments, and sometimes then about about luck, and he's been unlucky in a lot of cases. So, um, you know, and and, and maybe he's got some magic working for him. Uh, we'll uh, we'll have to have to find out, have to meditate it on on it just a little bit and see. Um, NSC Chaos Corner and Jay Mazza both uh, want to talk about Schaffelberg and the dynamics of his loan deal. Uh, Chaos Corner. Uh, Shout out to a whole section. We have a whole section of people reaching out to us tonight. A whole section of Jonas Bar. Just in 104, 109. Uh, I'm sorry. I forget Chaos the number. Connor, I, remember I forget. <laughs> but they're awesome and they're loud and they're wonderful people. Uh, what's the likelihood of Nashville being able to, being able to sign Schaffelberg to the squad per- permanently? I know he's on loan, but he's coming and almost amped up the team, let alone he's super fast and eager to attack. I butchered the delivery of the question, but you get the point. And Jay Maza, can you explain how the purchase options work for loans in the case of Schaffelberg? Did both teams already agree on a price for Nashville? decides if they want to buy or not can Toronto choose to decline the sale what are the possible scenarios Tim this sounds like a perfect club and country money ball question in the the big picture for these um I guess chaos corner what is the likelihood of being able to sign Schaffelberg is Nashville has the option to to buy him that's that's already done for so Jay Maza's version of the question has kind of has that part understood and it's mm-hmm. just a mechanical how does that work um Long story short is that I believe that the $250,000 allocation money loan fee was effectively a purchase already. It's just a matter of if Nashville at the end of the year says, yes, we want to keep him, they will keep him. Uh, Toronto FC has um, shown that they that they, they liked Schaffelberg, but they have shown that they wanted to get their talent internationally, specifically from, from Italy. All of uh, there's a huge, huge Italian um, diaspora in Toronto, which is very odd because I, I don't necessarily think of it as an Italian city, but I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they feel that that's how they get really good players and also players that are marketable in their market. Um, Schaffelberg is obviously a homegrown guy and Nashville wants to acquire his his homegrown rights because that's, you know, for those MLS roster mechanisms, Nashville needs to acquire homegrown players who are developed elsewhere. We've covered that in the past. I think everybody kind of understands why that's the case for now with this Nashville team. I just think it's a matter of if Nashville wants to keep him, uh, the the money is already is already paid. Essentially, I don't think there's going to be an additional purchase price if Nashville does end up keeping him. Yeah, I think we see him in, in gold next year. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Sure. Henner Montaner. <laughs> Another question. <laughs> Good to hear from you again, Hanner. Uh, how important is it for Nashville SC to push for a top four spot for a home playoff game? Is it realistic, given that three of the last four are going to be tough games? And and I'll clarify there. Who knows what Houston brings to the table? Are they beat Nashville down in Houston? I don't expect them to beat Nashville, but who the heck knows in this crazy freaking league? Um, <laughs> You know, the more home games Nashville wins, the more vital it feels to get that home game, you know, on the pitch. Even better, of course, if they can push for third. I think you'd rather be in that three, six track than four yeah. or five if you can help it to avoid a rested LAFC um, in, in the second round. But but getting that home playoff game is significant, not just on the pitch, in my opinion, but in the seats. I think from a, a marketing standpoint, from a relationship with the club standpoint, to go from struggling a good bit at home to hosting a playoff game and potentially succeeding there would be you know a, a huge bow to put on the season. I'll go so far as to say if you win a home playoff game and then lose the next round and end and the season once again in the conference semis, I think it's a successful season, even if it stops mm-hmm. a couple games shy of where the team wants to be. It looks like Hannah Montana is seeking the best of both worlds. Uh, <laughs> we, you've gentlemen. made that joke before, I do believe. I'm going to keep I got every time. I'm not going to stop. Because yeah, I, you have Miley's to go before you stop. <laughs> 
uh is that robert frost or something like that yeah i don't know (laughs) anyway yeah i i'm totally in agreement with you wes i now that you're seeing this nashville sc team kind of figure out what it means to win at home and they're doing a heck of a lot of it that suddenly makes it important last year uh they they were awesome at home and you it was so clear how important a home game was this year they're starting to get back toward that. I don't think they're going to have any sort of reputation as invincibles at home because they have not been over the course of the entire year. But certainly the better they play at home to end the year, the more important it's going to feel to get that home playoff match. Let's jump outside in now for a quick look at the playoff picture. We already mentioned LA Galaxy staring three points in the face until Chicharito Paninka that chance away. Um, oh, he's LA such a good guy, though. He really is. No, it's I, thing, I almost. It's, I wanted, it's still hilarious. It's still hilarious. I wanted to, to say something about how arrogant that move was, but he's just not the type of guy who is that. He, you mm-hmm. know, it was. I don't know the reason behind his decision. He took accountability for it afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, and English and Espanol. Yeah, it was it was dumb, and that's okay. And he's a player who's earned the right to make some dumb decisions. But it keeps LA six points back of Nashville. They do have a couple games in hand, and as we've mentioned, they're the next opponent. Meanwhile, Dyron Aspria's goal ended up being the game winner against Atlanta. Portland still just three points off Nashville's pace, even though they're in seventh and Nashville's in fourth. And so the difference then between third and seventh in the West is just four stupid points. Um, so, so I'll ask you, I think LA Galaxy would seem to be the team that's poised to maybe jump into that playoff race. If they can get the results they need, they've got the games in hand. So mm-hmm. which member of the current playoff field do you think gets knocked out if that happens? You know, and, and who feels best positioned for safety? And are, is this just a math question where we say third place is safest and seventh is, is in danger? Or, or are we going to go you know, maybe a different direction with that? Well, it's, it's not just a math question because seventh place is, is currently, as I, as I look at it, occupied uh, by Portland Timbers. And I, I think they're the, they, I, I'm stunned that they're in the playoff field right now anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I think they, they are most likely to drop more points. But um, I, think, I think Nashville is safe in the playoff field. Um, you know, it's going to sound like a homer pick because we're on a Nashville podcast. But I think right now when you look at how they are playing, they have to feel probably the safest. I think they are pretty likely to, to kind of... I don't I don't want to say keep this streak going, but certainly do enough to cement that spot within the next couple of games here. And I think that that should be something that we look forward to as as we kind of approach the end of the season. Um, so, I, I, you know, from a math perspective, yes, it's obvious to say the teams higher in the table are going to stay higher in the table. But the reality is that I think the reasons are are not related to how many points they have right now, but how the form is and how, you know, the teams simply look on the field. For that reason, I'll do the math and form thing and go Dallas for, for safety if they're in third. <laughs> but also you, you win against a fel- fellow playoff contender 3-0 on the road in dominant mm-hmm. fashion. You know, I know they didn't look exactly so great in Nashville. Recently. Nashville, Nashville, wait, 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 Nashville would never win win a a road game three zero in dominant fashion. Or was it four the the road one? It was it was three. It was yeah, three. okay. Um, that's a great point. Uh, I, I feel good about Nashville's chances mm-hmm. too, uh, for sure. I, I you know they're at forty five now. Forty five is not the not what's going to get you in. Uh, it's it's going to take a little more, but I think they've got that in them. I think RSL is one of those teams you look at and you're like, how have they been doing I, this? I almost said them too. I think, but again, it's because they're you know the sixth and seventh teams in the table are easy ones to say. Yeah, they're not going to keep it up. But I think RSL and Portland are are you know weak enough to be you know ten and eleven. So it's it's not just the ma- the the fact of the matter that they're they're close to it right now. Yeah, I wonder if they end up being vulnerable just because you don't have one or two things you point to and say that's what they hang their hats on. You know, they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna get there, but but they're a good enough team that it won't shock me to see them in either. Um, 
More paninkas. That's all I can say. Whoever mm-hmm. whoever tries them besides Nashville, more paninkas, mm-hmm. please. And really quickly before we go to the the final whistle here, I do have to give a shout out to Chris Hole who asked us the sample size question, but I had to go really quickly oh, yeah. check <laughs> check before before making sure I shout out the wrong person. So thank Chris, you, Chris. Always always bringing it with great stuff. Uh, great to hear from you, Chris, and great to hear from all of you. Heading into the final whistle, um, we'll, we'll close. First of all, I got to say I've had an epic fantasy week. I just got to say that. Uh, I'm up to like. <laughs> Are you? Were you in Lord of the Rings? You've had an epic fantasy week. Fantasy soccer, <laughs> Tim. Not hobbits and whatever. Else. <laughs> Gryffindor is that Lord of the Rings? No, that's no. that's Harry Potter. I don't. I, I, you can tell I don't do fantasy very well. Fantasy <laughs> soccer, though, um, I killed it. Honey Mukhtar is the captain. Will make you make you look pretty good. But I'm in a Nashville group, so like. Everybody probably did that. Anyway, um, content recommendations. I'm going to go with one I, I think I've mentioned before because we've talked to him on the show before. Uh, Matt Doyle's armchair analyst is just a really good synopsis of what's happening around the league each week. Um, I know he's part of the um, propaganda machine, as Dax McCarty would label it, with the Extra Time crew. But but we've had him on again. Great tactical analysis. And he goes into every match every week and writes about things he's learned, things he's seen, things he's enjoyed, tactical breakdowns. It's, it's a lot of words, uh, but it's relevant, and, and every club gets hit. And obviously, he had great MVP-level things to say about Hani Mukhtar this week. But every week, even when it doesn't go right for Nashville, he's a good first place to go to kind of investigate why things didn't. And my favorite question we've asked of anybody on this podcast, or one of them at least, is how do you watch every game in such substance and quality every week to be able to write that uh, that level of detail? And he does it, and he does it well. Mm-hmm. And mine is another another friend of the friend of the pod here, um, Steve Cavendish, who you have also already mentioned in this pod. A gorgeous uh, feature in the Nashville scene mm-hmm. this week. As the season draws to a close, Nashville SC changes the narrative. And Steve, uh, he doesn't he doesn't write about Nashville SC in the in the scene weekly. You know, he doesn't write about every single game, but when he does, you know it's with the the breadth and depth of of having watched every single game and having analyzed every single game yes just because he didn't write about it publicly doesn't mean he wasn't um jumping in our dms and asking us mailbag questions each week as well steve follows this stuff very closely and it's always great to get the perspective of somebody uh, with the knowledge of the sport and the knowledge of the team that that steve has prop steve we know you're listening on your morning walk um, thanks for uh, for putting together a great piece. And I will say, I sent it to my friends. I have a number of friends who maybe like a lot of folks are just now kind of getting into this whole soccer thing. I had one that got hooked Wednesday when he went to the Colorado game. Some others who were asking me more, more than ever, like, what, what are the standings? What's happening? I sent the piece to them as an explainer, really, a synopsis mm-hmm. of what's happened today and what is going to continue to potentially happen for this team. Uh, but mm-hmm. it wasn't just a dry summary it was eloquent yeah. narrative and about about narrative narrative about narrative that's kind of meta um <laughs> and and really really good stuff i could not agree more gave it a a, a robust retweet earlier today as well mm-hmm. Tim, any yeah, and this, oh, yeah I just, and i don't want to sa- say it pejoratively because it can kind of sound like that but it's accessible to the lay person and in yes. perhaps a way that our podcast and some of my writing is not but it is still in depth it is still something that the 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 deep fan is going to enjoy just like a person who doesn't follow the day-to-day as well yeah not every piece is for everybody this truly does have something for yeah, everybody yeah. and it's and it's great we'll try to give everybody that too um if you're still listening you were part of that everybody so thank <laughs> you for uh, for listening uh, thanks to ml rose for again some really good loaded fries 
this as we record this just uh, just two nights ago for me. Uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Uh, hop on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us a quick review. Just say one or two kind things. It can take two or three minutes, and it'll help other people understand what we're all about. Um, you can subscribe to the show. It'll go straight to your inbox. Based on the numbers we're seeing, a whole lot of people are doing that, and we appreciate that. And uh, tell a friend about us. Give us a follow on Twitter at Club Country USA at West Bowling TN. Thanks to Braden Gall's 440 Sports Network for the microphone. And we will talk to you guys. Actually, we're going to talk to you guys on Thursday with a bonus episode. I sat down with Eddie Carbaccio, Nashville SC's radio analyst. You will love the conversation, I hope. You will definitely love Eddie. He's tremendous. We will see you then.